Good morning. My name is Jim Osborne. I'm a practicing physician here in Greensboro, and I'm part of the preaching team here at Hope Chapel. The name of our current sermon series, as Daniel mentioned at the beginning, is The Hope of Heaven. Um, And as I've been listening to the two sermons before uh, today, and uh, as I prepared for today, I I really think that the name of this series could really be expanded. Uh, Because it's not just our hope of heaven, it's also our hope of heaven and earth. And I hope you'll understand what I mean when I get to the end today. In the first sermon in this series, Todd gave us this great picture. He told us about Jesus being in heaven today. And with him are all the saints who have died before us, including our beloved brother, Tripp Kimbrough. Todd shared with us scriptures about the wonder and awe of those who are in the presence of God and of Jesus, even now as we speak. He also told us that when Jesus comes again, not only would he come, but he would usher in the new heaven and the new earth as the new Jerusalem comes from heaven to earth. And he reminded us that new does not mean that something is discarded and something is comes in to replace it, but rather that new is the renovation of something old into something entirely new. In the second sermon, Daniel told us about the utter defeat of Satan. Satan is bound and restrained right now, but he continues to wreak havoc among human beings. At the end, though, Satan will be utterly defeated and sin and evil will be no more. Daniel unpacked that a bit in terms of relationships, and I'm going to continue that theme today. Next week, Todd's going to talk a bit about the implications for this, these, this hope of heaven and, or hope of heaven and earth, these implications for us as we live out our lives in this life. But today we want to look at three passages that will cut across the sweep of biblical revelation. And then I'm going to make a few observations about life after life after death. Observations about relationships and observations about work. Now for our text today, I'm going to do something a little bit different. You may have realized this, that we read a lot of scripture this morning probably more, more verses than usual. And I clearly cannot exposit all of them. There's not enough time. So what I'm going to do is summarize each one. Let's start with the passages in Genesis that were read. In Genesis 1, God tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In Genesis 2, The Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. These two verses are part of what are called by various theologians the creation mandate, or by others the covenant of creation. And regardless of what it's called, we see here that Adam and Eve were not placed in the garden to do nothing. They were not placed in the garden to just sit and recline all day, to just sit and relax and take it easy and wait for God to serve them and do everything. No, they were called to work, to cultivate, to subdue, to rule. And what a working or subduing or ruling it would have been. Imagine, as perfect as the garden was, and it was, they were tasked with perfecting it on behalf of and in concert with the Creator God. Yeah, there would be time to recline, to relax, to sit around and 
just enjoy one another. But they would be, there would be much work to do as well. And you know what? It would be work that, well, it worked. Of course, this became hopelessly corrupted by the fall. So our work often does not work. It's often full of frustration. It can be non-productive, non-fulfilling. For many of us, because of our experiences, because of our fallenness, we can scarcely think of work as being part of the perfect created order. Let's move on to Isaiah. As we all know, the fall corrupted not only man, but the earth itself. And in the words of Paul in Romans 8, Romans 8, the creation was and is a slave to corruption. So God starts back in Genesis this long process of redemption that will be completed when the new heavens and the new earth come. But he gives hints along the way of, about what he's up to. So I, I want you to think for a minute of redemptive history kind of like an ark. And, and over here is uh, Genesis with the Garden of Eden, uh, and then the fall, just as we've talked about. And, and over here is, is Revelation, the, the new heaven and the new earth. And we'll get to that in a minute. But just think about biblical revelation as being this ark. And at the top here is Isaiah, really almost in the middle of the book. And I, God gives Isaiah this, this view from the top of this ark, this view out into the future. And some of what Isaiah talks about is pretty near. It's about the nation of Israel. But some of the things that he talks about are, are way off. It's kind of like being in the mountains. And you, you see those mountains close up, and they're clear, and you can see them. You can see the trees. You can see the houses on them, but way off in the distance. There's some mountains that are foggy, dim, blurry, not easy to see. But you still can see them. So this prophecy of of Isaiah is really a prophecy like one of those far mountains. And what God shows Isaiah is that he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And there will be joy and gladness. There will be no more weeping. But notice, there will be work. Isaiah sixty-five twenty-one: they will build houses and inhabit them. They will also plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Finally, the verses in Revelation. John sees a vision of the coming of the new heaven and the new earth, the renewed home of those who are the lambs. A vision of God living among his people. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more pain. God giving the water of life without cost. This is a vision of a world where everything works the way it is supposed to work. Everything about life works in the new heaven and the new earth. Relationships, recreation, and work. As we start to unpack this a bit more this morning, let me start by repeating this and being very clear. I am not talking today about life after death. I'm talking about life after life after death. Life after death is heaven. As Todd told us, it'll be glorious and wonderful. But life after life after death is the life in the new heaven and the new earth. When the new Jerusalem has come to earth, where the people of God will live with the triune God 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and where we will all live in eternity. But that does kind of beg a question, doesn't it? What are we going to do all that time? What are we going to do for all of eternity? And to be honest, we can't be completely clear on this. It's truly seeing, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, seeing through a glass dimly. It's a little bit like Isaiah's vision. We can only have distant but blurry views of what it might be like. But, but when you see those things, it's breathtaking. And I'm going to have to ask you to use your imagination a little bit today because it's really breathtaking. Again, let us think of that ark as I was talking about earlier. Eden and the fall, Isaiah's vision, the new heaven and the new earth. Man and woman were placed into the garden with a perfect relationship with one another and with God. To together work the created world, to subdue it, to cultivate it, to rule over it. This is what man and woman were made to do. And now, in the new heaven and in the new earth, redeemed man and woman will be living with redeemed and restored relationships. And they will do there what they were always meant to do in the garden. Work it, subdue it, cultivate it, rule over it. In the words of Revelation 5.10, they will reign on the earth. That is what man and woman were intended to do all along. But in a universe no longer corrupted and broken by sin. Let's unpack it a little bit more and see if we can see something out there. As Daniel noted last week, we will experience redeemed and restored relationships. And I want to say a bit more about this. I've commented in prior sermons that humans are made for a relationship. And this is because we're made in the image of God. And the image of God is triune, or God is triune. The three persons of the triune God himself are always in relationship with one another. One of the blessings of human existence is the ability, indeed the necessity, to be in relationship with other human beings. But due to the fall, that blessing sometimes feels more like a cursing. It is to state the obvious, to say that we have all been hurt in our relationships. I dare say, in every relationship, even the best relationships, we have all had some pain at some time. And it's true, some of us have had a lot more pain in one or more relationships than others, and I'm truly sorry about that. But, but everybody's had pain in those relationships. But it's also, to state the obvious, to say that we have all hurt others in almost all of our relationships. Probably in almost every relationship I have had, I've caused pain, perhaps great pain, whether I knew it or not. Now, I want you to pause for a moment and imagine a world where you were not hurt by others and where you hurt no one. To have redeemed and restored and perfect relationships, can you even imagine that? The trail of broken relationships that we all have, some broken by hurt, some broken by death, some broken simply by the progression of time and place. All those broken relationships redeemed, restored, and perfected. Where the hurt you received or the hurt you caused is recognized 
and paid for by the blood of Jesus. That's what redeemed means. Where the hurt you received or the hurt you caused is forgiven. And we all move forward in new and perfect relationships. That's what restored means. Can you imagine that? Can you dream it? That's why Isaiah says, And there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. I hope that takes your breath away or brings a tear to your eye because it really should. We're also going to experience redeemed and restored work. I've already commented that we will not be sitting around doing nothing in the new heaven and the new earth. N.T. Wright puts it this way, forget those images of lounging around playing harps. There will be work to do and we will relish doing it. We will be reigning over the new earth and the new, sorry, the new heaven and the new earth, being the agents of God himself as we discover more about his universe and we all work together in it. Now you may be thinking, if everything's going to be perfect, why does any work need to be done? Maybe we need to rethink what work is. For many of us, especially like me in medicine, those in pastoral ministry or counseling, work in the fallen world feels more like trying to fix broken things. The world is not perfect. There is pain and illness and death. For many of us, perhaps in retail, in the service industry, in government, in the military, Work in the fallen world can almost feel like it's mainly fixing problems as well, or at least having to work with people that are a problem themselves. But there are some who, even in this life, have lives that are marked by, and one could, one could even say blessed by, creativity, discovery, and educating others that I think hint at the work to be done throughout eternity. And in fact, everyone, I think, even those in medicine, pastoral ministry, counseling, retail service, government, all those other ones I just named, everyone has moments when creativity, discovery, educating, or just simply working together on a common goal happen. And you think, wow, that was kind of fun. Those are all tastes of the work and point to the work that we will all have in the new heaven and the new earth. After all, there is and will be this whole universe out there to be understood. As John Eldridge puts it, we haven't begun to scratch the surface of the mysteries of the earth. We haven't seen or experienced a fraction of this world, our home. And we could ponder a bit about what that might look like, a world and a universe in which humans work to create, discover, and educate inequality, and justice. Neither using or abusing one another, neither using or abusing the creation in the process. But let's go further and imagine, what will you do? I don't know. Let me ask you, what have you always wanted to do? What do you think you were born to do? That will probably give you a good idea of what you might do in the new heaven and the new earth. Did you want to become an architect, an engineer, an interior designer, a musician? What did you dream of doing when you were growing up? What do you dream of doing now instead of what you're doing? Do you want to see more of the world? Do you want to travel more? 
Do you want to see more of the universe and the biggest things out there? Do you want to understand the smallest things at the cellular, molecular, the subatomic level? Maybe even quantum mechanics, which I just don't understand at all. Dream for a moment. All of eternity to learn, to do, and to experience. This is the work of the new heaven and new earth. It's absolutely breathtaking, isn't it? Just pause for a moment and take it in. It's unbelievable. I hope you now understand why this series could have been so aptly also named Hope of Heaven and Earth. So as I conclude today, let's just review. We, we've looked at the full sweep of biblical history from the garden and its perfection corrupted by the fall to Isaiah's distance gaze of the future um, to God's revelation of what he intends to do in bringing about the new heaven and the new earth. And we thought for a moment about redeemed and restored relationships. We have dreamed about work that is fulfilling, purposeful, and unbroken by sin. But we should ask, what does a future eternal state of such relationships and of such work mean for us today in our broken, sin-filled world? The first is it should give us hope and purpose. And Todd will talk more about that next week. But second, it means that we should not fail, we should not fail to glimpse and recognize those glimpses. We should not fail to recognize the glimpses, excuse me, that God gives us today of life after life after death, because he actually does give us little glimpses of this as we live our lives. They can occur at any time, any place. They're often very unexpected. And you will know that it is a glimpse of life after life after death. When you have this ache in your heart that what you are experiencing or have experienced is truly the way things were meant to be. That might be a brief moment of understanding and love in a relationship or the satisfaction of a project that you completed with others or some wonder at some music that you just heard or, or maybe that you helped make or some view you experienced at the beach or in the mountains in a microscope, in a telescope. Last week, Nanette and I were kind of Tired of uh, sitting in our home so much. So we took a road trip. We went up to the Blue Ridge Parkway. A little bit rainy, but some clear skies. Have you noticed how blue the sky is lately? Have you noticed how unbelievably gorgeous it's been? I think it's that less pollution we're having because we're not driving so much. But anyway, we had a great day. But we were on this one overlook, and we were looking out. And there was some rain approaching from the, the, on, the, on our north and from behind us in the west. And the sun was shining from the other way. And we looked down in a valley and we saw a rainbow. I've actually never seen a rainbow in a valley. I've seen them up in the air and I've seen them up in the mountains. But I've never looked down at a rainbow, the entire rainbow, gorgeous. That's what I mean by a glimpse of life after life after death, this this ache in your heart. God has put eternity into the heart of man. And that heartache you feel is a sign that these experiences are glimpses of your true home. 
of how it was always meant to be, of life after life after death. And God gives them to remind us that all is not lost and to remind us to not give up hope. Like no other time in my entire life, I need hope now. I need to know that in the midst of all the chaos, the brokenness, the hurt, and the death, that there's hope. For the people of God, there is hope. And there is a future free from the chaos, brokenness, hurt, and death. And we will experience that freedom both in our life after death and for all eternity in our life after life after death.